everyone, and welcome to another episode of Analytical Fanboys. I am your host, The Lacuminator, and I am joined, as always, by the malevolent Boingo Rider. Hi, I want to kidnap Kyrie so I can take the heart from Sora. See, I know so little about Kingdom Hearts that until you said Sora, I was like, why the fuck is he talking about Lupin Ranger versus Pata Ranger? <laughs> no, in the in the first game, Maleficent is the bad guy. Oh. So you so that that's a connection. That's a thought. That's I see. So this guy. You can see clearly now from my joke has been explained. Yeah. Uh, you want to know another thing we could explain? Um, how pee is stored in the balls? Yeah, but that, that comes after the main topic. The main topic tonight is Hellboy. We are talking about the first Hellboy miniseries, or at least I think it's the first. I don't know shit about Trade that. Okay, it's the Mike Mignola comics, uh, Seed of Destruction, not Seeds of Destruction as I thought, so it took me like 20 minutes to find the comic, but uh, it is Seed of Destruction, and uh, this is a four-issue miniseries that was basically the world's introduction to Hellboy and his whole mythos. This was my first time reading it because Chris put it on the list because presumably he's a big Hellboy BPR. He likes the Mike Mignola stuff. And literally my only exposure to Hellboy before this was I've seen the first Guillermo del Toro movie and I liked it. But that was like three years ago. So I don't remember much of it. Yeah, I mean, it's a good introduction. It, they ch- uh, they changed a lot of character dynamics in that movie to make mm. it flow better for a movie. But yeah, this is Hellboy, one of the seminal classics of American independent comics. Yeah, he's kind of he's kind of like on the level of a B-lister from one of the big two at this point in terms of notoriety. Like, you know about comics outside of just, like, superheroes are a thing. You know comics as an actual medium. You're acquainted with it. You at least have heard about Hellboy. Um, And that's kind of the level I'm at where I'm like, yeah, Hellboy looks interesting, it's just, uh, it's not one of those things I have a whole lot of time for. Um, and, and the world of Hellboy is very specific. It's very pulpy, very noir, a lot of fairy tale, a lot of, like, dumb, pulpy sci-fi. Yeah, that was kind of my big takeaway from this, whereas, like, the uh, the movie felt very much like a big operatic supernatural drama, Reading this, I felt like I was reading, like, an old pulp adventure novel. Um, Like, it's just so wordy at points. There's a lot of, like, monologuing and just going on and on about this of, like, like, you're dropped into this story and you get a little bit of backstory in the first issue, but for the most part, Hellboy will mention something and then for, like, three panels, the captions are Hellboy going, like, now, here's that thing, here's what that thing I was talking about is and the backstory of it and how it works and yada yada hoodaha. And also, 
holy crap does the villain in this love to monologue like i oh rasputin yeah yeah i think like, part, of me, part of me thinks that it's that's partially because the uh, it's very early on in mandola's writing of the comic mm-hmm. so he's trying to get like everything down so you can kind of get the right feel um and I kind of got that too. However, it was also my biggest put off with the comic was like, this isn't bad, but a lot of it is very overwritten. Like there, like I was kind of feeling like, could we let the art maybe tell more of the story, maybe figure out like, I think this maybe could have benefited from having another issue or two just to let some of the content breathe a little more. Um, Cause in that, in that last issue, issue and a half, where there's just long stretches of Rasputin going on and on about, oh, this fucking hell is this and that, and I'm doing this, and this thing's happening now, and Hellboy, you I worked with the me, Nazis summon- to summon you. I, I at one point was just like, God, will you just shut up? And I skipped like three pages until I saw someone else talking. It it is very wordy, but I I will say this: reading later Hellboy comics, he it the the pacing of the language gets better. Yeah, and like that's that's not to say I didn't like this. Like that's my one major complaint. Um, everything else, I wouldn't say like I was over the moon about it, but I was like, okay, I can pick up what this is putting down, and I get why it is connected with as many people as it did. It's it's not like My Hero Academia, where I'm like, oh, I definitely want to keep reading this. I will get the next volume at some point. It's like, okay, I see what this is now, and I, and I feel like I have an understanding of it. Maybe I'll seek out some more seminal stories from it at some point, but I don't feel like I'm going to start going through the continuity anytime soon. Yeah, this 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 little arc kind of suffers from basically trying to explain the entirety of the world while also telling its story. Yeah, it's it's very much a one-off adventure, but also so much of it is. Hellboy being confronted by his origin and just saying, eh, fuck it. I do cool stuff. That's who I am. I don't need to know anything else. Yeah. Um, and even then, they don't explain a ton of things uh, outside of, like, the direct Hellboy, Hellboyism stuff. Like, mm-hmm. I don't remember them going super deep into the BPRD, uh, the Bureau of Paranormal Research and Defense. They don't even like really talk about what it is they just drop its name a couple times and hellboy calls the home office once yeah um and i still love the movie's explanation of what the bprd is there are things that go bump in the night we're the ones that bump back yeah that's that's mm. um so let's just go over the story because we talked about how wordy it is but this is very much kind of a, a simple bottle story. It, it it starts off in one place, but most of it takes place in a mansion in I can't remember what it was, but in America. Yeah, it's uh, Hellboy meets up with his uh, adoptive father, who's just gotten back from an ex 
expedition and he's like yo there's a curse and there's monsters after me and you got to investigate this family and then he's like okay i'm gonna call for my friends and we're gonna go investigate this family and then he finds out that the dude who originally summoned him to earth is there doing weird shit and it involves these people uh, and the weird shit specifically is trying to summon. Uh, God damn, I can't remember the fucking demon's name. It's something it's, jihad. Yeah, it's it's a big old tentacle boy. Um. Yeah, and it, it, it's kind of locked in a cage and all that kind of stuff. And basically, Rasputin. Yes, that uh, Rasputin from Russian history. Um, is going like, hey, I summoned you, and you're supposed to act as kind of like the conduit for bringing this giant Cthulhu creature to Earth, because there's a lot of Cthulhu in this book. Yeah, this is this is very much in a sort of Lovecraftian style. Even the art is very reflective of that, where everything's very sort of half in shadow and very minimal detail. You're sort of left to fill in the uh the the deep the the grit of the world yourself um yeah and like it's it's weird for me because i feel like i should be in love with this art style because it's that kind of sketchy kind of cartoony thing that i usually espouse as like my favorite art style that should just be used for every comic these days but I don't know. It felt a it felt a little off here, probably because it was being used to be more spooky. And and, and he does. Mike Mignola does purposely break some art rules to make things feel more weird and awkward. Like there's a very prominent panel later on in the comic where he completely breaks perspective because he's trying to make it feel off putting. Yeah. Um, oh, and the Cthulhu creature of uh, the Hellboy mythos is Ogdru Jihad. Mm. O-G-D-R-U-J-A-H-A-D. Good lord. Ogdru Jihad. Yeah. But I fucking love Mike Mignola's art. Like, he is one of my top five comic book artists right up there with Mike Allred. Oh yeah, it's undeniably good. Um, it it might not be to my taste, but it's one of those things where I can look at it. And even before I read this, I would look at like Hellboy images drawn by Magnolia and just be like, "Yeah, that's good shit." It 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 really evokes that kind of noir pulpy feel without going into that retro futuristic vibe of old school pulp. Mm-hmm. It's. It's got this sort of minimalist but masculine feel to it, while not getting overtly so. It's it's very subdued, and um, that's that's kind of something I can appreciate in a world where, especially at the time, because this came out in like early mid two thousands era, where no, this came out in the nineties. Really? I was always under the impression that Hellboy started around 0304. 1994. Huh. Yeah, it's been around for a while. Okay, well, that's that's even more impressive, because that was the era of, like, Rob Liefeld and balloon muscles. 
1994, uh, March through June is uh, when Seeds of Destruction came out. Mm. Um, so I think the biggest complaint um, looking at this, uh, not as myself, but something I could imagine other people lobbying against it, is probably how, and I can't even remember her name, so this sounds ridiculous, um, but the uh, the um, female sidekick of Hellboy, how she's basically just a MacGuffin in this and has almost nothing to say or do on her own. Liz, Liz Sherman. Yes, that's correct, Liz. Uh, she, like, here's the thing. It, it, yeah, it is in this book. She is kind of a plot ticket. But as th- the stories go on, all the side characters get more to do, including Ape Sapien. Yeah, I got a, fe- I got a feel of that from this, which, by the way, I have been meaning to actually, like, Hellboy, I've always kind of been like, eh, maybe one day. Ape Sapien is one of those characters where, like, after I watched the movie, I was like, he's got a solo book, doesn't he? I need to read that at some point. He seems cool. Yeah, um, in the comic, he doesn't have the mind powers uh, that he has in the movies. Because mm. they basically composited another person's powers onto him to just streamline the plot. Alright. Um, but yeah, Liz does feel pretty useless in this story, at least from her own agency. Which I could see as a huge problem, but honestly, I kind of liked it in this context because, again, this feels like an old pulpy adventure story. Like, women and female characters were kind of second or even third thought of in those books. Um, So it feels entirely appropriate here. And also because I know this is a more modern comic, so I'm looking at her going like, you're, you obviously get more to do down the line. Like you've got an interesting enough backstory that you're not just in this book to be a MacGuffin and then we won't see you in the next story arc. Um, yeah. And I'm pretty sure because eventually there is a spinoff of BPRD of just a team book doing supernatural stuff. Nice. Uh, and there's a lot of like, uh, Ape Sapien there, Liz Sherman there, so. And I mean, like, at the very least, it's also better than, and I even like what they did with it in the movie, but having her just kind of be a generic love interest for Hellboy in the movie, mm, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's almost a little worse than uh, her having nothing to do here of her own. Yeah, in the... And again, like I've been saying, they streamlined a lot of like character interactions from the movie because they wanted to show, oh, Liz and Hellboy have a, a relationship. Okay, in the comics, it's brother-sister because they've been around each other for years. In the movie, they just needed to make the audience uh, understand it quicker, so it's like, Hellboy has a crush. Just accept it. Okay. Hmm. Um, also, just because I keep going to that movie, I do want to say I listened to the score for the uh, the 2004 Hellboy movie while reading this, and it works really well. Like I I never um, thought about that score before, but it it matches up with the actual tone and feel of the comics incredibly well. So uh, 
if uh, if you're the kind of person who listens to music while you read comics, I would definitely recommend trying that at some point. Maybe not with this this book in particular, but you could find another Hellboy arc that you haven't read before to read. Yeah. Hellboy is just a fantastic little world of a bunch of interesting ideas and just saying like, hey, every single supernatural thing every culture has, that, that's real. Mm-hmm. We have to fight them. It feels so incredibly specific and fun in that I may never get a carte blanche again, so I'm just going to throw everything I like into one story kind of a way. And also, I've been working on this in the back of my head since I was 13. Yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's a lot of everything thrown at the wall. And it's very, it's very charming in that way, especially with this first story feeling as concise as it does. Like I said, there's the problem of the, uh, the caption boxes explaining things a little too much, but this entire book could have just been like a 10 issue origin for Hellboy that goes through his entire, like the first four issues could have just been going through his childhood. And then the story really gets started in issue five. But um, instead it's kind of its own story and it feels succinct like that. Yeah. And even in the trade paperback of these four issues, there's two like, five uh, page uh, little mini issues that they that Mike Mignola created to kind of promote the comic. Oh, that's cool. And it, and it's super super pulpy. Like one of them, Hellboy saving a girl from a Nazi head in a jar with a mind controlled gorilla body with bolts on it. Excellent. And he's just fighting them. And like right before he's right before the place blows up, the gorilla starts talking and Hellboy just goes like, wait, you could talk? <laughs> That's a great joke. Like it's moments like that. And there's also like cl- uh, fun moments later on in the series. Like um, watch out. That monkey has a gun. Yeah. Fucking lady don't mess with me i've been drinking with the skeletons that panel will live on in infamy for all time oh yeah and then there's classic stories like the corpse Mm -hmm. hellboy is hellboy is very similar to like the best american comic book characters where he's a character and a concept and you can just throw anything at him and it works now, cor- correct me if I'm wrong on stuffing here, because, again, I don't actually know that much about Hellboy. Has Hellboy ended? Because I remember when Hellboy in Hell was happening, and a lot of people were talking about that as if it was the final Hellboy story, and, like, they weren't going to touch him again except for, like, occasional one-offs. Here's how it is. The, that is the end of Hellboy. That's the end of Hellboy's life. They're still going to continue Hellboy stories, but there's going to be, before that, prequel stuff. Okay. Kind of more like, he has spent a long time on Earth. Here's some pockets of information that just we haven't told you about yet. Okay, so it's kind of like a, a Marvel The End book. Yeah. Or like uh, how... Um, the Dark Knight Rises was intended to be, or like the Killing Joke was intended to be. Hmm. Like it, this is the end, and now we can just fuddle around in the middle. Because 
Because Hellboy is very much like an episodic kind of storytelling device. Yeah. He's really good in that environment. And all, and all good comics really have to be that way, where you could just keep doing it forever. Like, I've always said, like, my biggest problem with certain characters in comics history is they're clearly meant to have a beginning, middle, and end. Like, um... Just pulling stuff out of my head. The original Ghostbuster or Ghostbuster Ghost Rider Johnny Blaze. Mm-hmm. His his fucking book. His story ends. There yep. like there's one writer and he goes all the way through. And at the end of the book, he's fucking done being Ghost Rider and he goes off and he rides off into the sunset. And that was supposed to be the end of Johnny Blaze. But because Marvel is Marvel and comics are comics, Johnny Blaze has come back like twenty bajillion times now. Yeah, but it also doesn't help that Danny Ketch is his brother. Yeah. And now Johnny Blaze is currently the king of hell. Yeah, I read a random issue of that. That was interesting. Yeah, he's currently the king of hell, and he had a dope-ass race against uh, the current, the, the most recent Ghost Rider, the one who drives a uh, muscle car. Hmm. And that kind of stuff, and it was like, yeah, whoever wins gets he- gets to rule hell kind of thing, and I need power because I need to control all these demons or fuckheads. As you do. Yep, yep. It's dope. And, and honestly, as a Marvel fan, I'm kind of glad they didn't just completely end Ghost Rider stuff, because now we have this amazing chunk of lore of just like, yeah, no, there's always been a Ghost Rider... It's just one dude who has the power of vengeance on his side. It's just a really powerful force, kind of like the Phoenix Force. Mm. Well, you could do another Ghost um, Ghost Rider. It's just, I feel like they should have left Johnny Blaze alone. But, eh, comics. It's, it's a mean, whole thing. for a long while, Johnny Blaze wasn't a Ghost Rider. He was just a guy who dealt with supernatural shit as a regular dude. Yeah. And, I mean, we're... Every 20 years, we're going to try and end Spider-Man, and it's not going to work. That's, that's just how it works. You try and end Spider-Man every few years, and the fan base reacts poorly to it, and you go, fine, he's a teenager again. Because we have no other ideas beyond he's 25. No, there's plenty of good ideas of what you can do. It's just the writers don't want to fucking do it because it's not my Spider-Man. Exactly. Uh, but uh, but Hellboy, it's, Hellboy, uh, Hellboy, it's fucking fantastic, and the design is also amazing. Oh yeah, definitely one of the best character designs to come out of comics since the time this was made. Um, like honestly, to me, okay, you go like, oh, American comics, like American superhero comics. You think, okay, Superman, Batman, Spider Man, Captain America. Those are the images that pop in your head as like superheroes. Yeah. When you think manga, you think, oh, Goku, Yugi, Naruto, maybe Astro Boy if you're classic. Maybe Dio if you're a fucking weirdo. No, no, it's Jotaro. Jotaro. Uh, Jotaro's the guy you want. (laughs) Okay. But but when people say American independent comics, like, some people might... Like, the image that pops into your head, to me, it feels like it has to be Hellboy. Hmm. Hellboy's in the front, Spawn's off to the right, and TMNT is off to the left. 
But I Hellboy would also Force submit to the court the uh, the the main couple in Saga. I'm talking about classic indie comics. I mean, they're getting there with how fucking universally beloved that series is now. Yeah, but I'm like, to me, there's a difference between like contemporary indie American comics and like that era of indie comics. Where at that era, they were struggling just to fucking get noticed. And if they had a success, it was a huge fucking success. And everybody was like, fuck yeah, amazing. Like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and The Mystery Men, The Flaming Carrot, uh, Usagi Yojimbo, uh, that kind of stuff. And then Image happened. And for the first few years of Image, it kind of kept up with it. And then eventually it became how we see independent comics today with Invincible, The Walking Dead, Saga, uh, Paper Girls, stuff like that. Okay. It's a difference in era. Like, there was a golden age of American independent comics, and right now we're in the silver age. See, we can argue semantics about this all night, but I don't think this is actually making for an interesting podcast. Ah, who knows? I mean, I just like there's a part of me that just really enjoys old, weird American comics. Hmm. There's something fun and enjoyable about that because, like, I've been it's reading it. Sleepwalker, which is a weird, dumb 90s Marvel thing that no one remembers. And it's like, fuck yeah. That's my kind of shit. This, uh, indie comics, especially the weird ones that nobody thinks of, are a very Boingo core thing. So it's always fun when they crop up for the show. Oh, yeah. Like, and they're more recognizable than, you, than anybody would give them credit for. Like, a lot of people would probably go like, oh, yeah, that's Hellboy when you look at Hellboy. Or like, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was an independent comic. It started off as a grim, gritty uh, parody of the X-Men and Daredevil. And now it's more known as a toy franchise. And I think like, even though yes, Hellboy is recognized as a comic book property. I think that it's recognized that way because of the Gilmo, the Gilm of the, the fucking, Del Toro. Yeah. The, the, the big happy cuddly boy movies. Yeah. And I mean, to a certain extent, Hellboy is that kind of big cuddly dude. It's just, Ron Perlman was able to imbue him with a lot more wholesomeness and the performance because there's only been two Hellboy movies. Yeah. We're I'm never as much as I like him as an actor. I'm never going to check out the David Herbert 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 one. And here's the thing, given any other production, given any other director, any other writer, I think he'd be a fine Hellboy. Yeah. You know, it's just that production fucked him up. They uh, they they needed a little more of that that Kevin Feige magic in there. Yeah, but yeah, no, Hellboy is fucking fantastic. It's amazing. It 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 even if you don't, Seeds of Destruction might be the hard place to go into because it is it is wordy. It's the it is the beginning of the big kind of like arc of Hellboy. So maybe like. If you want to get into Hellboy, find one of the short story compilations because they're usually quicker, one and done, a lot more atmospheric, a lot less wordy. Um, and if anyone specific you want to look up, I'd suggest looking up The Corpse. It's fantastic. And mm-hmm. it and 
Remember the graveyard scene in the first Hellboy movie where Hellboy digs up a body and he's talking? Kinda. Basically, that's the whole story of the corpse. Hmm. That's where that segment comes from. It's inspired from a short story in the comics. All right. And it's and it's like a really easy entrance point because it kind of explains that oh it's supernatural Hellboy deals with it Hellboy deals with this world he's kind of a bridge it's under it's good but I can understand why a person would kind of start with this version of Hellboy and go like mm, this is Brussels sprouts <laughs> yeah so you want to find out what we're talking about next week. Hell yeah. Oh, I was waiting for that joke to crop up. I, I, it's, it's one. We should have had a bet to see who would have done it first. Eh, well. <sighs> Next time we are talking about. Okay. That might take a bit to get through. We're talking about the Chronicles of Narnia. Ooh. Uh, I've never actually read those books. I... Hold on, is it at my suggestion? Yeah, that's your suggestion. Hum, should it be the... I think we could just watch the Disney movie and be fine. Okay, I've actually seen that before. And you're talking about Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe specifically, right? Yeah, hold on, let me go back to the fucking list, because... Got some weird shit, and we're dealing with them all. Because, like, I'll just say up front, I've seen the Disney Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe, and Prince Caspian. I never saw the third one. And I've seen all of the old BBC live-action adaptations, but I've yeah, never I'll read say, the books. I'll just say, let's just do the movie. Okay. It just seemed like something interesting that could be good for a conversation, so. Yeah, especially considering uh, our perspectives on the things that story talks about and tries to prop up, but... Uh, well, we'll talk about that next week. Uh, for now, let's go on to some uh, what we've been up to this week. And uh, Chris, how did you how did you feel about that back and forth we tried out last week? That was fine. That was good. Okay, because I thought so too. So I guess we'll just we'll keep it going. Uh, so what's your first thing, man? All right, Common uh, Writer Zero One Episode Twenty Two. Um. Not much to report. We're still stuck in a tournament arc, but uh, there were some interesting revelations in this episode. The uh, The rest of the cast finally found out that uh, our boy... Uh, oh, I actually forgot his real name. Fowser. Fowser is responsible for the Daybreak incident, and like he's he made Metsubo Jinrai and all, all that shit, and they're like... Motherfucker, you're responsible for the deaths of thousands of people. And he's and he just kind of shrugs and goes, Yeah, that was that was a thing. I still want control of your company. I don't I literally do not care that there that there's major legal repercussions now that that's out in the open. Also, here, try out this new progress key I had that I had the demonic satellite make for me. It's going to make you go crazy on the level of, like, hazard trigger from build. 
<laughs> yeah. Like I sent you I sent on your Discord server, which if you want to join, go support the Vacuumidator on Patreon and join. Yeah, by this by the time this comes out, I will have reformatted my Patre- Patreon. So there's now only one tier and it's one dollar. So but uh, that basically is the main character of Zero One going like, maybe the problem is capitalism. And then that character cops in and goes like, what's up, bitches? I'm a capitalist. <laughs> yeah, that is, ooh, that is a good, that's, that's, that's the, sh- that's the show since like episode, I want to say Tenet was we first saw him. It, it's strange how a show so focused on selling kids toys can so often just be super lefty. Yep. <laughs> it's uh, it's weird. I almost feel like there must just be like a secret agenda within Toei because they're they have such a close relationship with Bandai. It's just like let's just poke fun at those motherfuckers every couple of years. Let's just let's just see if they can still take the joke. And I mean, like, hell, like, the very first Kamen Rider, Ichigo, he, they fought Nazis. Shocker mm-hmm. is descended of Nazis. Yep. So Kamen Rider is Antifa. Oh my god. <laughs> Should I get on to something I did? Yeah, tell me your first thing. Uh, so I started reading uh, Marvel Comics 2 Spider-Girl. Is this the uh, is this the daughter of um, MJ and Pete in the future? Yes, it, it's the future where the uh, the daughter of Mary Jane and Pete, uh, Peter Parker, wasn't stillborn. So she was born. She grew up. She became Mayday Parker. Yes, that's right. That's her name. Um, Peter Parker retired because he lost his leg while being Spider Man. Hmm. So he was like, nope, this is too dangerous. Um, but Mayday gains her powers and goes like, you know what my dad always says? With great power must also come great responsibility. Hey. So basically, the, the story, because I read the first five issues, the story so far is very much, but dad, I want to be Spider-Girl. No, you'll get hurt. Look at my leg. Uncle Ulrich, can you train me to be Spider-Girl? Yeah, sure, whatever. Uncle who? Ben Ur- uh, Ben Ulrich. Ben Urich, you mean? Urich, Urich, Urich. Okay. I don't know why I was replacing the R with an L. Ben Urich. Ben I, Urich. Thought, I thought you were talking about Ulrich from Code Lyoko. I'm like, what the fuck? What is this crossover? No, no, uh, Urich. Ben Urich uh, trains Mayday Parker to be uh, a Spider-Girl because... He thinks Peter Parker wants him to do that. And oh. Peter Parker doesn't, so it's like a big web of a confusion, and it's hilarious. Um, but, like, it, it really kind of shows the M- uh, MC2 world, uh, like, the Fantastic Four is Fantastic Five. Because it's the thing, Johnny Storm, Johnny Storm's wife, which was the scroll chick that he dated for a while. Oh, yeah. Franklin Richards, and then Reed Richards, whose body was irrevocably harmed, so he put his brain in a robot. Reed would fucking do that. And it's not even like a human robot. It's like one of the fucking Herbies. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, but yeah, it's a fun it's a fun little story so far. Neat. Um, well, uh, to like do a complete one eighty from the discussion so far. I got really depressed at the start of this week for no good reason. As and we so, did. And so my natural reaction was, let's throw some gasoline on this fire. <laughs> and I've watched BoJack Season 6. Oh! Sad Horse Boy becomes Normal Horse Man. Yeah, it's, uh, it's very much a season about healing. But there's a lot of, because it's fucking BoJack, there's a lot of really intense episodes that make you go, wow, the entire world is fucked and we're all a bunch of cruel animals. Um, Like, there's a really great episode where um, Diane can't figure out um, how to write a book about her life and she gets really depressed. She's like, is my life even worth any?" thing was was all the bad shit that happened to me along the way even worth anything um the penultimate episode which is all in bojack's head as he's dying um or thinks he's about to die and is like his brain is just going through and checking off all the things he thinks he needs for finality that was really intense um but it does ultimately leave all the characters in not necessarily a good place, but a place where you're comfortable to let them go. A lot of the season is basically about um, learning to be okay with um, not being involved with suffering anymore. Because, well, they did find out early enough that they could basically say, like, okay, we're going we're gonna to make our final season and we're going to give the show a proper ending. They kind of got the rug pulled out from under them because fucking the animation studio that makes BoJack, um, not the writers, but like the actual animation studio in Korea, which was owned by Netflix, um, unionized, and Netflix let them be a union. And then a year later, they were like, uh, okay, we're, we're shutting you down. Um, BoJack writers, you have one more season. And so they crafted a story that was very much about, like, yes, things are hard, and sometimes you have to say goodbye to things, but life still goes on, and being able to deal with that is what's important. Like, there's a whole arc about um, BoJack at the start of the season is in rehab, and he doesn't want to leave. He's terrified of what's going to happen to him when he gets out and he no longer has people whose job it is to stop him from doing stupid shit. Um, and then later in the season, after the, uh, the, in, in the final episode, we find out that because of what he did in the events leading up to the penultimate episode, he's been six months in jail and he's like a few days away from getting out and he's terrified of what's going to happen when he does get out, but he's also sort of made peace with the fact that he is who he is and he just needs to keep trying to be good and maybe things will work out. And um, he he has, like, the show ends with this beautiful conversation between him and Diane, um, who they haven't seen each other all season because at the start of the season she moves to Chicago and she spends the whole rest of the time there. She has, like, a whole bunch of subplots going on 
um, and is separate from all the other characters, but she comes back in that final episode and they talk about like, yeah, our friendship is basically over. This might be the last time we actually talk, but it's good that we got to know each other. We're not, we're not bitter towards each other anymore. And we're not sad that it's over. We're just having this one last moment together and it's, it's nice. It's nice, but life will go on. And from a show that very much got this reputation of being a, of like, oh, this is obviously leading towards the horse is going to do something big and dramatic and self-destructive and get himself killed. Um, to have that kind of an ending, I think a lot of people will see as a cop-out, but I thought was like a wonderful, very welcome curveball. And uh, yeah, it was good and I liked it. Now, as a person who's never seen a single episode of this show, I think there'd be a cool little moment to give a little bit more of a hope spot of, like, whoever Bojack's agent is, if he has one in the show, going, like, hey, we have a a studio wanting you to maybe be a superhero. You into that? Be a reference to Robert Downey Jr. going through that kind of similar arc. Uh, There's nothing like that. There's nothing exactly like that, but his agent does at one point, because the final episode takes place at his agent's wedding. Like, she's had this whole arc of learning to accept happiness because she's she her whole character is that she's a hardworking, busy career woman, and she doesn't have time for a family. But over the course of the last two seasons, she's been learning to make time for a family because actually... Having a family does make her really happy, even though it's it, the show's not trying to send a, a message that women need a family to be happy. It's just that this character specifically didn't realize until now that it's it's what she wanted. Um, and so this is this episode is taking place at her wedding, and they have an interaction where she's basically like, "Hey, that film you were working on um, when you went to jail, we're finishing it." It is gonna come. It is still gonna come out. We have no idea what the reaction to it is gonna be like, um, but it's it's gonna come out. And he's like, okay, well, maybe when I get out, we could see if there's something for me. And she's like, yeah, we'll see. Not a, not a yes, not a big hopeful. Like, yeah, he's still gonna have a career, but a th- they are still gonna try and work together even though um, for a lot of the season he'd been trying to get away from actual acting. Like there's a, there's a subplot where he goes and starts teaching at the university. His half sister is going to, he he becomes the new acting teacher there. Oh, Hmm. it's good that you liked it. Yeah. So I read issue five of Excalibur. Oh yeah, that's uh, is that is that Kitty Pirate, Kitty Kitty Pride, and the Neverland Pirates? That's Marauders. Oh okay, okay. So real quick, I can just because I read it all the contemporary X Men books except for Fallen Angels because I wasn't into it. So Excalibur, magic things going on. Apocalypse's plan is going through, and Rogue 
super absorbed apocalypse powers you choose an amulet or a sword and you choose the amulet because you want to defend not the sword because you want to attack and he's choosing the sword in these tests and he is beating himself up because it's like this is not who i'm supposed to be mm-hmm. uh, and he and, and basically his sister who's a mutant comes up and says bro you were abused it's okay you're gonna be better you're gonna nice. grow. You're gonna become. Be- you're gonna. Gr- you're gonna be- overcome this essentially. Yeah. And so that's kind of the the status quo going from now on. New mutants. Uh, it's currently bouncing back and forth between the terrestrial new mutants and trying to get uh uh one of their friends back onto the island named Beak. And it's the end of the wrap up. And basically, the guy who was holding them hostage killed his human dad. <laughs> And when they're on the island, he's going like, what are you talking about? My dad's been dead for years. And they talk to the uh, telepathic twins and they go like, what the fuck did you do? He was sad and we didn't want him to be sad anymore. So we changed his memories. And they're like, you little fuckers, you can't do that shit. <laughs> and they go like, do you want us to change it back? And they're like, God damn it. We don't want to fucking deal with this. That's a very comic book problem. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then we have X Force. I don't remember what happened there. It's interesting stuff, I guess. Not enough to, not interesting enough for me to remember. X Men has been doing dope shit. Ha! Huh. It's so inter- It's so cool. So like, um, I can't remember. Shit, I can't remember what happened that time. I read it like Sunday. Huh. So it's been like a week. That's understandable. And then Marauder is kind of a similar thing. Uh, they're just going around, and uh, they were trying to commandeer a ship near Madripoor, and they were fighting dudes in like anti mutant armor, and then they realized, oh wait, Sebastian Shaw is kind of a dickhead. They they just now realize this. Yeah, but that's that's the X Men stuff I've been reading. Okay, um. I watched uh, Doctor Who Series 12, Episode 7. Uh, This episode was really fucking cool because it's basically uh, the Doctor encounters two Elder Gods and has to deal with them. Perfect. And and not like Time Lord Gallifrey-related Elder Gods, just a couple of random ones she runs across. Um, A couple of Cthulhu boys. Yep, they're terrorizing the nightmares of, like, random people and trying to draw them in to freedom from this prison. And the doctors, um, the doctor thinks, like, oh, they're these poor sad beings. They're being tortured for all eternity. I have to help them. And then she frees them, and it's like, oh, oh, you, you gonna go, you gonna go fuck up the earth now, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, we were we were hoping specifically you would show up and free us so we could do that. Okay, I'm I'm gonna go figure out a way to trap your asses again, and and that's the episode in a nutshell. But there's also some really good stuff with uh, Ryan, one of the current companions, and his friend on Earth who has serious abandonment issues from Ryan constantly um, going off with the doctor. And and this guy doesn't know about the doctor before the episode. So he just thinks his friend is constantly leaving to go traveling. 
and not fucking paying attention to him at all for like months at a time. And he's getting really depressed and like spending tons of time locked in his house. And um, Brian slowly realizes this over the course of the episode. And he's like, oh, oh, we're going to get you some groups. We're going to get you some therapy. And also, I'm really sorry that I did this to you or that I helped enable this behavior because that's not okay. And this episode fucking came out on Bell Let's Talk Day, which I thought was really good. It's like, ooh, they did a they did one of those message episodes without making it super overt that they were doing a big message episode. Why couldn't we have done this last week with the pollution? Well, okay, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna give you the gold star and move on. But hey, Elder Gods with Hellboy and Elder Gods with Doctor Who is almost as if there's a theme. Also, uh, one of those Elder Gods name drops. The Celestial Toymaker, which is a classic Doctor Who villain, but then name drops the Eternals from Marvel Comics and the New Gods from DC Comics. Perfect. Beautiful. Because because there's been multiverse stuff in this season just discussing the fact that there are canonically other universes in the Doctor's world, and it's like... Okay, these things are so high above these two are so high above everything that they know other universes where fucking comic books exist. All right. I mean, Marvel is weird because like there's a whole cosmology like hierarchy because it goes one above all living tribunal, the four concepts, Galactus, and then the internals. Where are the Celestials on that? Uh, Celestials. I mean, yeah, Celestials right there. Celestials and Galactus are about the same in power level. Hmm. But there's only one one above all and only one living tribunal. Every version of the Marvel Universe has the four concepts, a Galactus and uh, the Celestials. Also, Eternity is in there somewhere. Eternity is one of the four concepts. Oh, okay. It's death, eternity, entropy, and life. I think it is. Hmm. Um, those are the four concepts that create the Marvel Universe as we know it. And alone above all is uh, the writer themselves. Yeah. Often portrayed as Jack Kirby. <sighs> I'm, so, a, I'm, uh, a, I'm a very big Marvel fan, if if people haven't been able to figure it out now. It's, it's understandable. You're allowed. Uh, so, uh, what's your next thing? Uh, well, I read Dragon Ball Super. Chapters 25 to 52. I keep forgetting that Dragon Ball Super is also a manga. Yeah, it's a lot more compressed than the anime. Like... Mm. It would take a what took the anime like 30, 40 episodes to do, it took the manga like five, six, seven chapters. Ah. Um so it's fun. It's it's a good quick read. It's a lot of interesting stuff. Um, but the current arc, which they haven't animated any of it yet, but they're still in talks of like doing a second season of the super, is dope. 
He is basically an evil goat wizard who sucks up energy and goes like, all right, cool, that's fueling my magic. All right. So Goku and Vegeta basically have to figure out a way to fucking stop that. So Vegeta goes trains uh, goes to train on Yard Rat, the place where Goku learned to do instant transmission. And Goku trains with a member of the Galactic Patrol, which is the member the group that Jacko's a part of. And it turns out the person he's training with is actually the brother of Whis, one of the angels that takes care of the gods of destruction. Interesting. 90% of that just went over your head, didn't it? The, I un- Look, I understand that you said words and that they formed sentences. Dragon that's, Ball. That's the most Jala, you can ask from me. Jala, da, 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 da. Dragon Ball's good. And it's cool. Like, there's an interesting thing going on um, that Masako X pointed out. Masako X being the voice of Dragon Ball Z abridged Goku and Gohan. Mm-hmm. is that for a long time in the Dragon Ball universe, it was very much bring up a concept and do nothing with it. It's just like, oh, there's aliens. Here's an alien. Oh, cool. What are they called? It fucking don't matter. It's a fucking alien. And to a certain extent in storytelling, that's fine. I like that. But now that they've had like 50 years of Dragon Ball, they're starting to go like, let's explore some of these other aliens some more and go back to old places. Let's let's just get comfy. So, like, one of the aliens that someone has to fight is, like, the same species as, um, not the Doria, Zarbon from the Frieza saga. Hmm. Zarbon is, like, a pretty boy, but he turns into a big reptile monster. Okay. Yeah. And a lot of cool stuff. And it's good. Dragon Ball. I don't mean to sound callous or anything. Like, I appreciate Dragon Ball. I've watched Dragon Ball Dissection, uh, the Mystere Fusion series, all the way through, I think, the start of the stuff that became Dragon Ball Z. And I was like, okay, I know the story. I know why it's good. I understand Dragon Ball. I don't care. But I respect it now. And I think that's 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 as good as we're going to get. Yeah. See, I was a kid when Dragon Ball was airing on Toonami. So it's like... Pumped. And I was also like the one of the weird people who... Like, Boo is one of my favorite sagas. So I'm enjoying Super because it feels like Boo. Okay. So yeah, Dragon Ball. Yeah. Um. So uh, I got a hold of those um actually let me back up for a second so uh i was um for those of you who don't know the new transformers line earthrise has started to show up at targets in the last couple weeks and also there's a new um target exclusive matt hardy figure that i've been waiting for to come out forever so i've been i've been doing quite a bit of toy hunting at the targets lately. However, I have not managed to find them yet, except for one lone Earthrise Wheeljack, who I held in my hand for like five minutes and then was like, 
you know what? I don't want you enough to get you on your own. I'd get you if the rest of the wave was here, but no. Um, what I did find, however, was the McFarlane DC Multiverse figures. I, I found those, and they looked nice enough in hand that I decided to go ahead and take the plunge on the, uh, the DCAU ones. So I got the, uh, the JLU Green Lantern, uh, which is Jon Stewart, for those of you who don't know. Um, the classic quote unquote Harley Quinn. Um, and they call it classic because on, on the back of the box, they tout it as being based off of her first appearance in the comics. But the sculpt is straight out of BTAS, so I don't know why they're marketing it that way. Um, and then also BTAS Batman, uh, which is the second look from when they redefined it uh, to, to have it be more in line with the Superman show. And it's my personal theory that they're marking it as TAS Batman to sell because TAS sells, but it's more so meant to be a JLU Batman because... Mo after they did that redesign of BTAS when the Superman show started airing, all of the DCAU stuff after that kind of followed that arts that version of the art style, and that's the art style they used in Justice League. And I and considering how many figures there have been in the line already in that style, I'm pretty sure like half of the point of this line is to finally give us a good Justice League line, which is why I took the plunge on it and. I'm pretty happy I did. Um, I still have yet to mess with the Superman, so I don't know how he is. But uh, Batman is really is a really good, really solid figure. Um, same with Green Lantern. Like that's a really good male buck for how top heavy it is. I have almost no trouble getting them to, to stand, especially because they do all come with the same standard figure stand. Um, I like that uh, Batman comes with both alternate hands and the two accessories that you want out of literally every Batman figure. He comes with a Batarang and a grappling gun. And then uh, Green Lantern comes with a sick-ass construct that's like a big freaking machine gun straight out of a 90s comic and like a, a um, headset for... I guess communicating in deep space, even though the ring is supposed to be able to do that on their own. That one, that one's a little weird. I don't use that one too much, but uh, the big ass gun is is a fun thing to pose him with. Um, but that's not what really impressed me with this line. What really impressed me with this line was the Harley Quinn figure because we've talked about before how like Hasbro's six inch female figures aren't the best. Like, they're not terrible, but they kind of have this overwhelming, flimsy feel to them, and they're all kind of the same standard sculpt. Um, if this is the design philosophy they're going to be putting into the rest of the female DCAU figures in this multiverse line, I am probably going to go all in, because this is leagues better than, that, than the female, like, Marvel Legends, Power Rangers, Lightning Collection figures. Um, the feet feel super solid. The arms, I, I don't feel any kind of fin or looseness to them. She's able to hold poses really great. Um, and she still has an incredibly feminine figure 
without it getting in the way of articulation. Like it, um, she, the way her legs are engineered, she has that kind of like almost overly sexualized, um, hero stance with, with like, uh, her ass pushed out and, um, you know, that whole thing going on, but you can, you can still move joints in that area without it ever feeling limited. And you can get her in poses other than that, which I thought was super impressive when like the standard for so long has been that teenage female, um, Marvel legends sculpt. Um, I'm, I'm super impressed with that figure and, I want to I want to see them do like at the very least give me give me the main seven of that Justice League give me Wonder Woman and Hawk Girl out of this sculpt I would be super super jazzed about that um so yeah those those figures are really good uh, it's weird that they're eight inches instead of six inches like they don't look good they look like weird giant freaks next to every other figure I have. <laughs> But I the the sculpts and the articulation are good enough that I don't care if they keep doing these. I'll keep I'll keep buying at least the DC animated ones. Um, right. I'm gonna I'm gonna track down that Superman one that Superman at some point, and here's hoping we get another wave revealed at Toy Fair that that shows some more DCAU characters. Hell yeah! Also, Toy Fair's coming up. AEW stuff. Oh, I'm so it's it's gonna be a really fun toy fair this year, especially because uh, I actually have a a community, a local community of toy collectors that I can go and talk to during it. It's not just gonna be me yelling on Twitter. I'm 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 excited to walk into that shop on on the Saturday. Nice and nice too. Well, I watched Turbo Kid. Oh. I have heard I have heard interesting things about this movie. Do regale me. Okay, here's the best way to put it. It is a pretty typical gory post-apocalyptic movie, but they take everything you gotta you need to think about with the post-apocalyptic world and make and make you realize, oh wait a second, a lot of that'd be really dumb. <laughs> okay. Look, you're in a post-apocalyptic wasteland. Why the fu- why the fuck would you waste gasoline on a car? A much more practical solution and much more readily available would be bicycles. So all these tough men are riding bikes in the wasteland. <laughs> Please tell me they play Queen's Bicycle at some point. No, it's all synthwave original orchestra uh, original music in the movie. Okay, bangerang choice, but also missed opportunity. But like it, like you think about it for a second, you need to go like, no, that makes total sense. Of course, you would just use bicycles. It's man powered. It's rudimentary uh, mecha- mechanisms that you can build easily. It makes total sense. But because it's a bunch of big beefy dudes riding around on bicycles, it looks ridiculous. Nice. That's, that's good. I like that. That's funny. It's a Are little you okay. Little... No, I'm not. I'm very sad inside. Not you. Shut up. My dog's making noises. You all right? 
I think he was just yawning. He's gone back to sleep now. Uh, but Turbo Kid's fun. Uh, it's a pretty minus the comedy. It's a pretty typical like hero's journey post-apocalyptic kind of story. So it's fun. It's good. It's a good ride in and of itself. Cool. Yeah. Um, Watch it sometime. I don't know. I don't. Uh, it's up to fucking you. I think it's on my letterbox list. I'll I'll get to it. I'll get to it. He said ominously looking at his massive torns folder that he needs to get through before he dies. Hopefully, <sighs> probably, definitely not. Yeah, well. Um, so I built the Lego Harry Potter night bus. Yeah, I saw. It's very purple. Yeah. Um, like... <sighs> I'm kind of surprised that Lego Harry Potter is as big of a thing as it is. Like, it just keeps coming back. It's one of those licensed brands that they cannot kill, no matter how many times they they kind of quietly take it away. Um, and so I've always wanted, like, when I, when I was a little kid, I remember one of the first Lego sets I wanted was the Hogwarts Express, but the, my family didn't have the money for it at the time, and I probably couldn't have put it together at that age. Um, and I did, however, have a, like, mini polybag Master, master Builder um, Lego Magazine exclusive um, set of the night bus. And I always thought that was super cool. That's one of those Lego sets that I actually kept together for a really long time and would play with it on the same, in the same kind of way you would with a, a hot wheel. And I always wondered what would a full sized version of that looked like. So I was super jazzed when this time around with Lego Harry Potter, they actually did a full size version and I've been meaning to get it forever. And I managed to snag it during the holiday sales. I just now got around to building it. And, um, it's pretty good. It's not ex like I don't know what I was expecting, but it's not exactly what I would want. Um, I think it's just a smidge too thin. I would like it if it was maybe three studs uh, wider, um, because it just it feels incredibly cramped in there. Even though there's a lot of ways to open it up and make it feel more open and use it not just as a vehicle but as a playset. Um, it has a couple really cool action features to it. Like, um, I don't know if you remember, but during the sequence with the night bus in Prisoner of Azkaban, I think it was, is yep. when that gets heavily featured in the movies. Um, when they're on it, there's a bed on the first floor that's sliding back and forth as the bus like speeds up and slams on the brakes a bunch of times. Um, they actually replicated that pretty well by like putting like a little track in the bottom of the bus and you, you build the bed and you put it on there and it, it'll like shake back and forth as you move the bus around. Um, and the, the chandelier that's swinging around is in there too. Like it's a solid little build for a, uh, for a triple decker bus build. And, uh, it just happens to be purple and look like that bus and come with uh, a hairy minifig and a couple other minifigs from the movie that I don't know enough about Harry Potter to know who these people are. Um, but uh, I, I like it. It's it's a solid little build. It was a fun evening. And, uh, yeah. Nice. Nice, nice, nice. Um, my last thing is I watched episode 200 of Dragon Ball Z. 
Okay. This it's the first episode of the Boo Saga. Oh, 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 um, I'm partially watching it because of Team Four Stars announcement that they aren't doing Dragon Ball Z Abridged anymore, and so I'm going like, you know what? I want to, I want some Boo in my life because I am a big fan of the Boo Saga. So it's just like, you know what? Fuck it, I'm just gonna watch the Boo Saga. Okay. And that's like that's the last thing on my list, really. Okay, so I'll just blow through some stuff as quick as I can. Uh, so thanks to you, I got introduced to the YouTuber B Mask, and I watched <laughs> all of his fucking content in like two days. Did you watch the the fanta- his Fantastic Four video? Is fantastic. Oh yeah, that's the f- that's obviously the first thing I watched because you shared it in the Discord server. And oh boy, that that was a nice that was a nice little sneaky snack. And then I just went through everything else, and it was all wonderful, very good. Although I I all admit, just because it's not a topic I care for a whole lot, I was kind of um, looking at other things, mainly my phone, during the the videos about um, old. Are they old enough to be considered old now? The platformers he likes? I don't oh, know. Oh, you mean Sly Cooper? Sly Cooper, the fucking, the other one, the, the dragon, and that's that shit. That's a Crash Bandicoot. I don't care about those games at all. I'm sorry if you like them. Um, he did, I'm sure he did good videos on them. It just didn't make much of an impression on me. The rest of his content, when he's talking about like film and that shit, that that was all good. I liked his Hill Street Blues video. Um, his his even though I am like a staunch defender of Age of Ultron, I liked his video about like what if um, it was it was a a good movie, quote unquote. Um, uh, and his fucking I can't believe this motherfucker. Made me interested in Gem and the Holograms. Yeah, a good a good YouTuber like that can get you interested in anything. Mm-hmm. Like, I've always... For most of my life, I was ambivalent towards Gem. Then when the IDW comics happened, I got really turned off to it just because, like... Okay, I'm not going to go into a rant about those comics, but I'll just say like there's 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 a lot of very SJWE stuff about those comics, and it kind of made me roll my eyes at first glance. Um, Here's a better way to put it: it's Stephanie McMahon progressivism. Exactly. Um, having, and, having trans characters being progressive isn't a bad thing. It's just when you just go like, look at what we're doing. Also. Um, this is a very personal thing, and I acknowledge that I'm very much against the grain on it, but there's a character in those comics that's very much about, like, it's okay if you're fat. Learn to love yourself. And as someone whose dad is basically a cripple at this point because of diabetes, I get, like, violently mad against that message. There's a balance you need to take with, like, accept yourself, like... There's a level of understanding that needs to be taken. It's not, oh, if you're fat, no matter what, you're good. No, if you're chubby and you're husky and you got a little bit more body fat index, but overall you're active and healthy, you're fine. Mm -hmm. 
but the but the my main point here is like him he he talked about like no the old cartoon is actually really good and there's they do a lot of stuff with the music it's not just there to sell a product um they actually tried to write a good show and i was in shock by that having come from like five plus years of being in the sect of the transformers fandom that's like yeah we're thankful for g1 but man that show was fucking stupid um like getting like when he told me that gem has an actual proper ending i was dumbfounded i was like wait wait they they got a proper farewell and transformers just kind of threw its hands up and said okay we're done now that's well that's that's completely indicative of those two franchises like how transformers is completely built now on restarting and selling the same like 20 characters and the same story over and over again with slight variation whereas gem was and every like, five years you get like two to three new characters mm-hmm. and gem just came in it did its thing it was it was a product of its time and then it said like okay we're done now we're gonna we're gonna go away forever but it's okay those of those of you who like this will remember us and that's that's all we need i was like what the fuck? The girls got closure, and now I'm. Uh, but us boys are stuck in a never-ending cycle of overspending in order to chase our childhood, which we'll never get back. Hasbro, you bastards! Oh, well, at least they're still making Transformers, unlike the the people who haven't had a hit of GI Joe in years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, B-Mask, he's good people. I like his videos a lot. Um, watching them really re- reignited the spark and interest in making videos in me again. Because it's not like I was like, I'm never making videos again, but I've been on a break from it for quite a while. This made me go like, ooh, ooh, I've got ideas. I know I know what I want to do with my stuff for the rest of the year. I, I, I have a better idea of that now. Maybe I'll start making videos again soon. Hell yeah. It's one of those things. Um, I, I, I do that with you, but I can't. <laughs> uh, we're going to help you. We're going we're gonna to fix you up. Um, I read Daring New Adventures of Supergirl, number nine. Uh, it's the wrap-up to a free-issue crossover she did with the new Doom Patrol. Not much to say except... Uh, Wow, Reactron's look from this period is wacky. Um, Listen to No Time to Die by Billie Eilish, the theme song for the new James Bond movie. I still don't give a fuck about that movie. I still, like... You know how the Red Letter Media guys are, like... They they love Star Trek, but they hate that that modern Star Trek is is like a shambling, burning corpse of its former self. Sure. That's how I feel about James Bond at this point. Like, I don't love James Bond, but I have a lot of respect and appreciation for it. And, like, the state the Craig films have put it in just make me shake my head, man. They're still trying to make the Dark Knight James Bond where everybody's ready for the Avengers James Bond. Mm Mm-hmm. Everybody wants the quippy, fun, lighthearted, bright James Bond, like the Avengers, like Guardians of the Galaxy. 
but we're not getting that. And you know what? I loved Casino Royale. I loved Skyfall. I literally don't remember anything about Quantum of Solace or however you pronounce it. Um, Spectre, I will defend the first half hour of that movie till the day I die. I feel like that movie is great until Dave Bautista shows up. It's not his fault that the movie gets bad. It's just right the first time he appears on screen is when things start going to shit. Um, but that movie left a real bad taste in my mouth. And the fact that they they keep making the same mistakes, like they'll get really confident, they'll make a great movie, and then they'll immediately fuck up the next one. Doesn't, like, the pattern should say that, like, yeah, no time to die. It's going to be great. But I just don't care. I don't want to get invested again. Get this writer and director duo out of here. Get us a new bond. Let's we'll do something else. Like I'm seriously hoping that title is a red herring. I want Bond. I want Craig Bond to die in the final action scene of this movie, and then have the actual final scene of the movie be Q going like like the bunny character from Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends pulling out a new Madame Foster bus. He's just like, all right, we need a new James Bond. And he pulls out a bunch of dossiers from his fucking filing cabinet and throws them on the desk. You see like a bunch of headshots of actors. And then because they're trying to be hip and engaged with the kids nowadays, it, instead of going to the credits, it says, vote now on Twitter to who you want to play James Bond next. And we can just we can just let the neckbeards and the SJWs battle it out. It'll be beautiful. Here's um, a pit. Here's a pitch for the uh, next James Bond movie. Get all the creative staff that's currently on it out. Daniel Craig had let be his last hurrah. No more Daniel Craig. Here's my pitch for a brand new James Bond franchise. Four, four to five films. Pick which one you want. Set a beginning, uh, middle, and end. Edgar Wright is head creative of it. Idris Elba is 007. That could be pretty cool. That's that 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 that's not immediately where I'd go, but that could be pretty cool. I just think uh, um, Edgar Wright would have such an, the perfect eye for detail for a spy flick that it'd be amazing. Mm. Um. Also, uh, the song is good. I liked it. <laughs> like this yeah. is no super, You can't make a bad James Bond theme at this point, and like. To those of you who are going like, oh, they're just trying to get the attention of kids by doing a by picking someone who, a current really popular artist to sing the theme song. Yeah, that's every fucking James Bond movie. What you think they just picked Soundgarden in the nineties for no good reason? The Beatles did a James Bond theme, dude. This Billy Eilish fucking Adele did the Skyfall theme. Okay, this is nothing new. Just because you don't like Billy Eilish doesn't mean this is a dumb. This is an out of character decision for James Bond. Oh no, my only i my biggest concern is I just hope Billy Eilish doesn't burn out like in the next five years or so. Not because I think yeah. it's just because like she's she's younger than us. She's like still nineteen, and I'm just going like. I hope to God that this industry doesn't rip you and tear you a new one, like and makes you a husk of your former self. I hope you stay strong and continue making shit. Well, she seems like a true zoomer. She seems like a nothing fucking matters, but that's okay type. And I think that'll benefit her greatly being in that industry. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, I hope I hope she doesn't get chewed up. Yeah, 
Um, but moving on from that, I watched episodes two and three of Moonlight Mask. Chris, do you know what Moonlight Mask is? It sounds like a co-production between Japan and France, a cartoon from the 70s. Moonlight Mask is widely credited as being the first tokusatsu television series. Oh! That thing with the determination shit. Yeah. Um, back in November, Mega Beast Empire released episodes two and three, and I just hadn't gotten around to watching them yet. And the reason they released episodes two and three instead of releasing the first one is this show is so fucking old, the negatives for the first episode are lost. <laughs> um... But it is it's it's from 1958. It's six minute long episodes. There's almost no score, and it's in a serialized format. So like, there's no theme song or introduction to this is Moonlight Mask. This is his powers and his backstory, and here's his mission. It's just you're dropped into episode two. Some dude's snooping around because a guy was attacked, and then Moonlight Mask shows up, and he's like. Yo, it was Skull Mask. Who's Skull Mask? My arch enemy. He's a gangster dude who wears a skull and a Ku Klux Klan robe. Okay. Um, you should go fight him then. Yeah, that's what I'm going to go do. And then he goes and fights Skull Mask in a graveyard. And even though it's like no choreography and bad 50s editing, it's still a pretty cool fight. And then Skull Mask kills one of his own henchmen and the police run in right as Skull Mask leaves, and they think Moonlight Mask killed the henchman. And it's like, oh, you killed a man, Moonlight Mask. We have to arrest you. And he's like, uh, that would involve revealing my secret identity, so I'm just going to fuck off now. And that's where we're left. Beautiful. Oh. Perfect. Uh, there's 138 episodes of this show. Um... I have no intention of watching them all. Even if Mega Beast Empire does release more, I might watch another few. But I don't. I don't think I could finish it. I haven't finished the the original Common Rider show, and that's eighty episodes long. Um, and it is fully subbed now. Yep. But every is, every season of Common Rider is fully subbed. But this was just cool to to go back and like the like the post from Mega Beast said sometimes. You just want to go back and see where something started in order to appreciate how far it's come. And, like, watching this in the same week I watched an episode of Common Rider Zero One was pretty cool. Kind of um, like how you watched that uh, Superman serial a while ago. Yeah. Um, hey, nice transition, because speaking of Superman, guess I what I read? Superman. Guess what I read? Um, Red Sun Superman. Oh, oh, you're so close, yet so far. Speeding bullets? I read Superman Year One. Ooh. By Frank Miller. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Um, because it was recommended to me by uh, our pal, Endless Jess. Um, he did, he did, he does a, a comic 
podcast called Panel Cast, and he recently released a Patreon exclusive episode that I was listening to the other day. And he started to review it, and he said, like, people don't get Frank Miller. Frank, like, he had this whole argument of Frank Miller isn't crazy. He didn't get bad. He just didn't change with the times. He still has the same worldview he had in the 80s. And that worldview is be a fucking man, grind your enemies into the dust, don't be a nerd, America is number one. And you have to go into his comics understanding that, or otherwise you're going to have a bad time. And I was like, hmm, I don't know if I 100% agree with that, Jess, but before I listen to you spoil the shit out of this comic, I'm going to go read it with that mindset and see and see if I can understand what you're talking about. And I don't know if, like, I, I did go back and re-listen to it and just loved this comic. He thought it was great. I don't know if I think this is a great comic. I think it's a fucking hilarious comic, understanding that about Frank Miller. Um, because the plot of this comic is Superman's origin story... From the perspective of, and again, this is this is me lifting just his opinion, um, of the bad guy from Kill Bill, when Bill has that whole speech about uh, Clark Kent isn't Superman's actual identity, it's a, it's a parody of humanity he does because that's what he actually thinks of us. He thinks we're all a bunch of idiotic, bumbling ants. That's what this book is. This book is oh. Superman's origin from that perspective. And it's fucking hilarious. Oh, that's um, not Superman. Yeah, that's not my Superman. But I thought it was amazing to get to see a version of that Superman actually done. Um, it's, that's fucking... Ew. I don't like yeah. it's. I'm sure it pissed a lot of people off. I'm sure this is on Linkara's shortlist. However, I had a great time with it. And I think if you can go in with that mindset of this is how Frank Miller views things, you might enjoy it on the same level. Um, and it's, it's, it's extended to all aspects of the character. And like, you know how there was often that thing of like, Oh, Frank Miller doesn't like Superman. He, he always writes Superman as kind of a putz in his comics. He thinks Batman is the only cool guy in DC. And Frank Miller would always reply like, no, no, no. I do that because I'm writing from Batman's perspective. If I wrote a Superman story, it would be flipped. He does Isn't that it? scene in this. He flips it. There's oh, a cool. He does Superman and Batman's first meeting, and he has Batman just be like an angry child who looks at Superman like 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 he's basically Batman v Superman, Superman and or Batman, and he's like. Ah, uh, fuck you, I'm gonna kill you. And he's got these, like, electric gloves and he just starts punching Superman. And Superman's just standing there not being affected by it at all. Like, you puny mortal, you fucking loser idiot. This doesn't do anything. And then there's a scene, and then immediately after that, because Wonder Woman intervenes and she's like, Bruce, you're gonna get yourself killed. Just stop, stop. We all need to go... Lex Luthor's doing a thing. We need to go confront him and also foreshadow, foreshadow the Dark Knight Strikes Again for some reason. Um, and so they go and do that. And then immediately after that scene, 
Wonder Woman just froze herself at Superman. She's just like, you are my king and I will be your queen and we will have a million babies and we will rule the world. And Batman's just standing in the background looking like he has no idea what the fuck to do with himself. It's hilarious. Yeah, um, like... That's, and Wonder that's always, that's not, always a weird. That's always a weird thing that happens whenever people write Superman in that kind of like "I am a god amongst men" kind of character. They always team him up with Wonder Woman. Well, Wonder Woman's not the only character that does that. Too is the incredible thing. Like Superman in each Superman issue, has a harem. He doesn't have a harem, but he has a girlfriend of the issue. Like issue one, he's with Lana Lang. Um, and then he just fucking leaves her to be in the military. Issue two, he's with a Silver Age character. Like, there was a Silver Age character that Superman was dating for a little bit who was a merwoman from Atlantis. And on land, she went around in a wheelchair and covered up her fish parts with a blanket. They bring that character in, and Superman, like... It's pretty canonical in this story that Superman just fucks everything that comes within a 10-foot radius of him. And he gets with her, and then in issue three, they foreshadow him getting together with Wonder Woman in the uh, in the Dark Knight Returns future timeline. It's, it's absolute insanity, and, like... I wouldn't call it a good Superman story. I wouldn't say it's my Superman, but it was just a hell of a thing to witness. And like, if you have even the smallest amount of interest in Frank Miller's take on Superman and you haven't read this yet, go read it. (laughs) Uh, But uh, that's... That's everything I did this week. So, um, you want to plug your shit? Hi, I'm Boingo Rider. I do Boingo Rider <laughs> shit. I'm, I'm Boingo Rider. It's on YouTube. You can follow me on Twitter. It's Boingo underscore Rider. You can follow me on Instagram. Boingo underscore Rider. You can also join with Discord. So, a link to that in the description. Back you and I make a toy Power Rangers. You can follow me on YouTube. The Twitter and the Facebook and the Instagram and the blah, 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 blah. Hey, uh, this is a podcast. I'm sure you enjoyed listening to it on some level. If you did, why don't you go ahead and subscribe so you can get more episodes as they come out. Like, comment, all that good stuff. You want to listen to us on the go? An MP3 folder down in the video description. Uh, want to keep up with us? We got a Twitter. We got a, we got a Reddit. We got that stuff. Go, go follow that stuff. And we'll see you next time when we're talking about the Chronicles of Narnia. Also known as Lion Jesus. <laughs> <laughs>